I share with you today the other bookend, bookend sermon that I started last week when we talked about change, change in your life, change in the life of this church, the change that even though God may remain the same, he uses change as a vehicle by which his kingdom might grow and be nurtured and change that he expects of us as followers of Jesus Christ. So last week was change, and this week is vision. As we look into tomorrow, I love the picture on the front of your bulletins with that little boy looking out over the horizon, looking into tomorrow. What is it that you see? What vision is there for you? What vision is there for the church? What vision is God calling you to fulfill? And I would like to read from the book of Hebrews today, a passage, number one, that you are familiar with, and then it continues to talk about faith and hope as we turn to Hebrews 11, starting with the very first verse. And this is what the author of Hebrews writes, if you will follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died... He still speaks. And moving on to the eighth verse. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God's blessing on the reading of his word. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Off the coast of Maine, there is a little island, so small, in fact, that from any point on the island, you can see the ocean. 
And a newcomer to that island had been going to church there and decided that he was going to start a Sunday school for the kids there. And one of those first mornings they gathered together, he was sitting with the children. He gathered them around and said, how many of you have seen the Atlantic Ocean? And not one hand was raised. Not one hand went up. It's the old story of not seeing the forest for the trees. For these Sunday school teachers, these Sunday school children saw the ocean. They just didn't know it was the Atlantic Ocean. It had never been defined to them. They had never been out on it. They had never flown across it. So they had no vision for what they were seeing. Even though it was there, they had no way of telling what it was. And whatever our present vision is as a church, it is limited, and it needs extension. You know as well as I do that our visions shape us. Our visions control us. Our visions are determining factors on who we are and on what we become. Your vision about how you want to look details the kind of clothes that you buy, the barber you go to, the hairdresser you go to, the accessories that you put on. That's your vision for yourself. Your vision of a parent or of a mate or of a friend largely determines the type of relationships that you will have with other people. Your vision of what a family is is a determining factor on what you have as a family and how you fit into that family. Your vision on what marriage is determines what your marriage is going to become. You see, visions shape nations and movements and institutions, and I would tell you today that visions also shape the church of Jesus Christ. Our vision, or our lack of vision, determines what our interests are, what our, our dreams are, what our finances are, what our total human experiences is, are. We can't go untouched without vision because vision influences everything we are and what we are to become. Unless a church has a shared vision, unless a church is together in a vision in due time, that church will turn off the lights and shut the doors because it will cease to exist as a church. That's a sad commentary, but a true one. The first Christians were moved by God's vision for them. Christianity emerged because a few devout people converted from dead living to God-centered living. And then they went out and shared that vision with others that wanted the same thing. They shared the gospel. They shared that Jesus Christ was the way. That was their vision. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, was fond of saying this. He said, give me a hundred men who love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I will shake the whole world for Jesus Christ. I don't know how many times I've heard that quote in seminary, but it is so true. Give me a hundred men, give me a hundred women who love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I will shake the world for Jesus Christ. In the passage this morning out of Hebrews, 
The author talks about faith and hope, and those are essential ingredients to any vision. Faith is the key ingredient to any vision. You have to have faith to step out into the unknown, to step into an area that you cannot see. I'm certain that there are members of this congregation as well as people in Danville that thought this church was a little bit nuts when we undertook the building of the CLC some 20 years ago on this 20 acres here at 1441 Paraville Road. And I'm sure there was another group that doubled down on that bet a decade later when you decided you were going to build this sanctuary on the same exact acreage and you were going to move out of downtown, lock, stock, and barrel. But look at it. Wow. Wow. The vision, the hopes, the dreams, the desires of this congregation have made it a reality. You did a wonderful job. You listened to God's will for you. And even though I'm sure there were different images about exactly what we were supposed to build here, we built that which we thought God wanted us to build. It was his vision for us. And faith was most certainly the key ingredient to that vision. These are the things we hoped for. And the convictions that we now physically see before us in this beautiful building and in this sanctuary. But now that we've accomplished the physical vision that God wanted for us, what has God laid upon our hearts? Where do we go next? What are we supposed to be about? What's our new vision? What's God wanting us still to do? I think it's only fair as your pastor that I share with you some of the things that I see. And I've been here far shorter period of time than all of you. But some of the things that I look out beyond the horizon and I can vision for Centenary United Methodist Church, some of the things that we can grow into, I see us moving, moving the caring aspect of this congregation into a deeper level. I see our nurture ministry expanding into a more comprehensive ministry, a ministry of care, of concern, of prayer. I see it as a lay-led ministry where we come alongside people in their times of need, in their times of trouble, or simply when they feel alone. I see us involved in more mission work. And I'm not talking about simply putting in money in the plate. I mean physically involved in mission work. Local, domestic, foreign. How can we make disciples with this beautiful facility and all of these resources? How can we go and help the Heinzes down in Atlanta or the Goshorns in Peru? How can we get a group together and send them to someplace like Costa Rica or the Dominican Republic or storm-ravaged Puerto Rico and do something that's beyond ourselves that God is calling us as a church to do? How can we do that? Do we have a vision? I see God transforming our hearts and our lives in this place, a place that can truly be a place of refuge, A place where everyone is welcome, where everyone feels safe, where you won't ever hear a put down or feel out of place or feel like you do not belong. A place where gossip is never heard. That's what I see. I see a place where you can truly be yourself. You can truly be yourself and be loved because God has created you in a very unique way. A place where souls and bodies are healed. 
a place where spirit and flesh can rest. I see a place where we come together and we discover our gifts, we discover our strengths and our abilities, and we find a way to use them to grow the kingdom of God, and we're not afraid to use them. We don't put a lamp or a bushel basket over the light. We use the gifts that we've been given. I see a place where we create new and different types of worship and study for our college-age students, for our single parents, for our divorced parents, each tailored to their needs and their desires, each tailored to the way that they worship and that they need how to learn, need to learn. I see a place where stewardship sermons are passe because we don't need them anymore. We're not concerned about membership requirements. We're concerned about desires of discipleship. We've already put so much money in the plate, we don't need to put any more. What we really need to do is put ourselves into each other. That's a vision I see. I see a place that is an inviting place to the community, a place where the community of Danville feels comfortable because we love you so much because of the friendship we've shared, and because we have a genuine, authentic concern for each other. Hear me, a genuine, authentic concern for each other. I see all of that, but what do you see? What do you see? What's God's vision for us now, and how in the world do we ever get there? We've done some incredible things, folks. We've prayed and plowed and planted. We've done a little weeding and a little watering. We've stood by and we've watched the garden grow. We've watched it blossom. But now's not the time to break out the lawn chairs and sit by with a cool drink and watch somebody else bring in the harvest. Now's the time to get down and dirty and start the business that Jesus Christ has always wanted us to start, the real business that Christ calls us to, making disciples. We can no longer live off the past and live off its memories. We can't live off of yesterday. We have to focus on God's purpose for this church tomorrow. A vision, a vision that we're willing to live into as a group and not just talk about it, but actually do something about it. Let me give you some examples. These are not ideas. I don't want ideas. These are visions as what we need to be as a church and who we need to be as church members and followers of Jesus Christ. If there is no vision for students at Center College, there will be no Center College students in this congregation. If there is no vision for people of color, then our church will remain, like so many others, very white and very segregated. If there is no vision for the hungry or the homeless or the hopeless, then our ministry will simply be limited to those who are filled up. We will become no more than a worship club. We will not be the body of Jesus Christ working as his hands and as his feet. If there is no vision for the single person, then we will simply be a ministry to the traditional family. If there is no vision for divorced people, our ministry will simply serve the married population. If there is no vision for social justice, then the cries of anguish and hopelessness will go on, and our ministry will just serve the well-off. If there is no vision for faith development and dynamic discipleship, then we will never experience the joy, the absolute joy of moving forward in our faith 
and making new disciples. If there is no vision for genuine hospitality, hospitality that is heartfelt, then our church will become a place of tepid handshakes and hollow words, and people will come to visit one time, and they will never come back. If there is no vision for discipleship, then this church simply becomes a museum, a beautiful one, but a museum nonetheless. Instead of the launch pad that it's always intended to be, a launch pad to reach out from this place for the lost and the unsaved for Jesus Christ. Quite frankly, our vision is limited. In some cases, it's probably non-existent. We don't know what it is. We're not on board. We're not sure what direction we're going to. But unless we focus in on the cross and both the horizontal and vertical dimensions of that cross, we will never have a vision as a church. And if we don't have a vision... And if we don't use a vision that we come up with, we are simply a church that is weakened, weakened in our capacity to love, weakened in our ability to be compassionate, weakened in our kindness, weakened in empowerment. We are weak. And without vision, we lose our reason to exist. We are for naught. Herb Miller in his book, Fishing on the Asphalt, fishing on the asphalt, he wrote these words. He says that the average church member has listened to 6,000 sermons. 6,000 sermons. Heard 8,000 prayers and sung 20,000 hymns. Sometimes, many of them, many, 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 many times. And yet that same average church member has asked Zero people to come to Christ, to accept Christ, to come to church, and to hear more about Jesus Christ. We build sanctuaries, folks. We build standards. We make arguments, and then we tell everybody on the outside, you come on in. You come on in. We'll take care of you. But that's not what the Lord wants. The Lord wants us to get out of the pews. He wants us to go out there where they are. He wants to talk with them. He wants us to sit with them. He wants us to share with them and not look down our nose. That's what he's asked, and that's what he expects. He didn't give us all this simply because we sit here so we could feel good about ourselves. This is his physical vision. Now what's the next? The Lord wants us to go. So do you have a vision for telling the story? Do you have a vision for witnessing to others? Do you have a vision for sharing Jesus Christ? You know what the limitations of the church are? The limitations are not a lack of talent. We got a lot of talent. The limitations are not a lack of brain power. We got a lot of good brains in here. The limitations are not money. We're blessed with a lot of financial wealth. The limitation is not ability. We have people with all sorts of abilities in here. The limitation of the church is our lack of availability. We are simply not available. We have got too much to do for God. We've got too much to do to turn ourselves off over and put ourselves at God's disposal. What hampers the church from really being the church is our lack of availability. 
We don't have a vision. We don't have a dream. We don't have a courageous vision to do something tomorrow, to look beyond the horizon and say, that's what we can be and that's what we should be. That's the kind of dream that God wants to put in our hearts and that we need to take hold of and actually live into. Conrad Adenauer is the chancellor, was the chancellor of West Germany. He brought Germany out of the ruins of World War II, and he had these words. This is his quote. He said, we all live under the same sky, but we all don't have the same horizon. I love that. We all live under the same sky, but we all don't have the same horizon. In other words, we don't see the same way. We don't look out the same way. We don't see the future the same way. Today, I'm asking you to expand your horizons. I'm asking you to exceed your grasp. Now, there's danger in that. I know full well there's danger in that because our society and our culture will find lots of ways of putting us down. You're probably going to be crazy, be called crazy at least. You're probably going to be called Bible thumpers. You're going to be labeled by society as those round pegs that fit in those square holes. You've got to be forewarned, though. When you see things differently, society will see you differently. And sometimes we crucify people who see things differently. Those who dance appear insane to those who cannot hear the music. That's a those who dance appear insane to those who cannot hear the music. Do you hear the music? Because I'm dancing, and I want you to dance too. That's the vision I want you to have. That's the vision I'm asking of you. I want to challenge you today on this journey, this vision casting, not ideas, visions, to get deep into your faith, to study the Bible, to be in prayer, to worship God passionately, and to mean it with your hearts, to see life with new eyes, to see the possibilities that exist for us, for this church, for this community. And just like those children on that small island off the coast of Maine, we might be able to look in every direction, but if we don't have eyes to see, we will never have a vision. We may be surrounded by the lost, but if we're not willing to reach out to them, they remain lost. Do you have the courage? Do you have the courage to look beyond yourselves? and see what this church can really be. Let me leave you with a story. During the Civil War, Lincoln very seldom went to church, mainly because on Sunday morning a lot of people would want to talk to him there in the back as President of the United States. But he had a good friend, Phineas Gurley, who was the pastor of New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., and Lincoln used to go to that church on Wednesday evenings, and he'd listen to the sermon. Phineas was a good friend of Abraham Lincoln. He was also Lincoln's spiritual advisor. And one Wednesday, Lincoln went to the church, and he sat in the pastor's study with the door open so that he could hear the service in relative seclusion. And he brought one of his aides with him. And so they listened to the sermon as Phineas preached, and the people sang and prayed. 
And after it was over, they were walking back home to the White House, Lincoln and his aide. The aide turned to him and said, what did you think of the sermon, Mr. President? Lincoln said, well, I thought it was well thought out. It was thorough. It was powerfully delivered, and it was very eloquent. The aide smiled and then said, oh, well, you thought it was a pretty good sermon then. President Lincoln said no. No, it failed. It failed because Dr. Gurley didn't ask us to do something great. That's what I'm asking you today as the congregation of Centenary United Methodist Church to do something great, to vision for this church for the future. Not ideas, but visions that you can buy into, visions that you're willing to unify under, visions that you're willing to give yourself to. Even though you may never see the fruit of that vision, to know that if it's a vision given to you by God, you're willing to march. What's your vision? What is God telling you his vision is for this church? What is it that we're supposed to be? And are you ready to get busy? Are you ready to work? Not sit, but work. Would you bow your heads with me, please?